Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Coffee Trading Academy podcast. This is a very special episode for me because today we talk to one of my mentors, the man who introduced me to the wonderful world of coffee trading, Mr. Roland Veit. Roland recently celebrated 50 years in the coffee trade, starting first with Nestle in Switzerland and then ending up ultimately in New York, where he founded Paragon Coffee. Paragon was a major pioneer in the specialty coffee world as they helped to bring America out of the dark ages of cheap, low-quality coffee and into a new era of flavor diversity and commitment to quality. Paragon Coffee also sets itself apart as being a popular and well-respected importer that is independent from the multinationals. In this episode, Roland walks us through his career, what it takes to make a successful coffee trading company, and what qualities make for successful coffee traders. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Roland Veit. All right. So, uh, Roland, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Um, this is such a, a pleasure to get a chance to chat with you. Um, as uh, our viewers may not know, Roland has the uh, the dubious distinction of introducing me to the world of coffee. Um, uh, back when I uh, was first trying to figure out what to do with my life, um, I saw Roland uh, living the high life and uh, uh, enjoying, uh, you know, all of the the wonderful world of coffee, and it looked very glamorous when when you did it. So I was like, "That's that's the world for me. That's what I want to be involved in." Uh, so thank you uh, for for agreeing to this, uh, Roland. It's it's cool to kind of come back full circle and for introducing me to to coffee. Well, it's my pleasure. I feel very proud of having. Uh... Uh, ignited that spark in you. Uh, I've uh, known you from since you were a kid, uh, then growing up, teenager, and then I think your family and my family went on a ski trip together, and yeah. that's where I got to know you better. And uh, well, I'm very proud that uh, that uh, you look at me as your uh, inspiration <laughs> to exactly. join the coffee. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You knew me back when I had hair, full head of hair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, very cool. So, yeah. So thanks again for joining. Um, I'll, I'll chat a little bit uh, in the intro, as I mentioned about, about your background, but uh, I know that you have a, a very fascinating background um, going back uh, many years now in coffee. Um, and I believe it started in Switzerland with Nestle. Is that right? Can you, can you walk? Uh, that's correct. Your, uh, your background? Yeah. I, I grew up in, uh, in the German part of Switzerland. Um, it represents about two thirds of the, the, the population and geographic area of Switzerland. Uh, but uh, since my mother was originally from the French part of Switzerland and my French was horrendous, I, uh, after my commercial apprenticeship, uh, only wanted one thing. I wanted to really learn to speak French fluently. And uh, so after my commercial apprenticeship, I uh, was looking for a job and I only focused on the French part of Switzerland. So I only applied for jobs uh, in that part, you know, Geneva, Lausanne. Uh, Lake Geneva region, and uh, that's how I ended up with Nestle. Uh, so Nestle is not only the biggest coffee company uh, to this day; uh, it's also the biggest uh, food company in the world, and also its biggest Swiss company. And uh, mm. I remember, uh, I mean, this this was in 1972, and uh, I applied not only uh, to Nestle; I, I, I sent out applications to a whole bunch of different companies and all sorts of uh, uh, types of business, not just the food industry. In actual fact, I 
did my apprenticeship in the textile industry. Oh. But again, I, 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 it didn't matter. I, I, the industry didn't matter. All I wanted was finding a job in the French-speaking part. And uh, initially, I, I applied for a, a position in the, in the marketing department and uh, got a letter telling me that, uh, unfortunately, that job has already been um, assigned. And uh, sorry, but, you know, and um, mm. I remember I was very disappointed. I went to see my then boss and... Um, I showed him the letter and he said, what, Nestle, the biggest company in the country, turned you down uh, saying they don't have a job? I mean, that can't be. So he ripped the, the letter out of my hands, went into his office, and half an hour later, he <laughs> called me in and he said, uh, next Tuesday, you have an interview. They're going to pay for the train ride and the night's lodging in a hotel in, in Vevey. <laughs> and um, so um, that's how I ended up uh, going and uh, being interviewed. And uh, they had, then they told me that the job that I was originally applying for is, is, is no longer available. But there was an opening in the purchasing department in um, uh, commodities. I mean, anything. Uh, packaging material, the whole, I mean, the purchasing department. And uh, had you asked me if I had a, a choice, had been given a choice of what I wanted to, to focus on, I would have told you purchasing. That somehow always fascinated me. Maybe I like to spend money, I don't know. Yeah. No, but uh, <laughs> I really, uh, this would have been my, my pick. And when I was told that there was an opening in, in that uh, division, I, I was very happy. I was sent to the big boss of Nestle Purchasing, uh, was in a separate office building in Vevey, and uh, that's how I ended up uh, with the job. And uh, ironically, now you, you never speak French, right? Now you moved to the U.S. Uh, and uh, not you speak anymore, English right? all the time. That, that, <laughs> Yeah, my gym instructor speaks French, so I, there you go. <laughs> I it, uh, uh, whenever I get a chance, uh, it's my favorite language to this to this day. Uh, oh, I just cool. love French. I, I lost a lot, but I um, I still can have a fairly uh, decent conversation in, in French. So, well, I'm surprised they didn't they didn't put you in cocoa then, because um, I guess no, but I was in. I, back then, I was into everything. I mean, I was assigned uh, a whole bunch of products uh, to buy. This was the global purchasing center. So right. Nestle markets throughout the, the world, uh, Africa, South America, Asia, if they couldn't find the product that they, they were looking for locally, or at least on the same continent, they would send the order to us. And so that gave us tremendous purchasing power. But I remember in the early days, I bought vitamins. I bought uh, uh, ingredients for the chocolate the industry, the, the dairy industry, the, um, uh, any type of uh, food product that Nestle uh, is involved in. And uh, as a kid, I mean, I was like 19 years old. Uh, I had this tremendous purchasing power. Uh, and um, it was very interesting. Yeah, I bet. Um, and did you, um, uh, so you were purchasing, this was all based out of, was this in Geneva, you said, or, or Lucerne? No, in Vevey at, at Nestle's World Headquarters on Lake Geneva. Okay. And, um, and did they end up, but, uh, did you do origin time as well? I feel like. Um, uh, well, origin no, I mean, uh, so what I did, I mean, I also was involved in 
Nestle's most important commodities, which uh, mm. are coffee, cocoa, sugar, uh, dairy, uh, right. that kind of. And um, so I remember I had to follow the the market. I had to enter by hand. I had to enter the graph, um, mm. you know, the price movements of the cocoa and coffee That's and funny. sugar markets. And uh, the general managers of Nestle, the real big shots of Nestle, they had like a, a weekly meeting and my boss uh, had to give a presentation about, uh, about you know, the, the price movements, uh, the market developments uh, in uh, Nestle's most important commodities. And, mm. and I, I always had to complete the, the charts and stuff like that. And yeah. uh, so I'm claiming that um, I've been in the coffee industry 50 years because I joined uh, May 1st, uh, 72. And uh, well, congrats. I yeah. celebrated <laughs> it with a bunch of friends in the industry um, earlier this year. So. Yeah, congrats on that. That was uh, I, I'm sorry I missed that. Um, I, for those of you who don't know, uh, if you can get onto Roland's guest list, uh, please do because uh, he throws the best parties around. Um, oh wow! <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, now you're gonna get a bunch of calls. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after you uh, were in, uh, you did end up in the U.S. at some point. So was yeah, that so, through uh, Nestle or uh, that, was that through another company? Right. No. No. I. I uh, told my boss from the get-go if there was ever a chance to get a transfer uh, hmm. um, you know I'm I would be interested I mean growing up in a small country like Switzerland which uh, even today only has uh, eight and a half million people you know you feel I kind of gets kind of tight you you the your sense of adventure to get out uh, to, yeah. to discover the big wide open world you know is very strong at least uh, for me it was and uh, so uh, when I was given the opportunity to um, to get, get transferred to Nestle USA, I mean, three weeks later, I was on the plane. And wow. uh, the reason uh, this happened uh, was because one of the buyers uh, got uh, seriously ill and uh, uh, they needed assistance almost overnight. And uh, so uh, I was offered to transfer and uh, literally, as I said, uh, I immediately accepted and and ended up uh, with Nestle USA. And back then, Nestle USA was still headquartered in White Plains, New York. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, where where you're located today, or at least where your your legacy, where Paragon is located uh, today. Your well, yeah, but then actually, only a year later, Nestle. In the meantime, the person that I replaced uh, uh, was supposed to replace. Um, came back uh, you know um, somehow uh, he recovered quickly yep. and after a year they offered me another transfer to Nestle South Africa oh. so um, so that's how I ended up in South Africa for a total of five years um, what years was that uh, that was from 1975 to 1980 it was a very that's interesting a crazy time, time. yeah that was a yeah, depth of apartheid yeah Absolutely. Um, Steve Biko uh, and uh, Nelson Mandela and, and all that. Yeah. That was, well, Nelson Mandela was still in prison at that time. That was yeah. uh, still years before everything changed and, and he, yeah. he got released. And uh, yeah, it, it was a fascinating time. Um, mm. But, um, you know, the future didn't look too good. Um, lots of boycotts. And again, imagine now, I, I'm now at Nestle in South Africa. 
Mm. My main uh, function was coffee buying. Uh, Nestle back then already had 10 factories in South Africa, very diverse, uh, diversified mm. uh, as far as the product lines uh, are concerned. And, and so in an environment where almost everyone boycotts you, you had to kind yeah. of get the commodities, at least uh, the ingredients that you needed to uh, produce um, a huge range of different food products. And uh, mm -hmm. that was very challenging, to say the least. Uh, fascinating in some ways, but extremely challenging. And, uh, the, you know, the global boycott, I mean, in sports, I mean, uh, the, the future, the economic future didn't look good at all. So when I was offered a job in New York uh, to join mm -hmm. a coffee trading company in New York, uh, Again, I didn't hesitate too long, and that's how I returned to the U.S. in 1980. Okay, and uh, and what what company was that that you that you joined? Uh, it was a company called Sprague and Rhodes Commodity Corporation, hmm. which uh, by then was already about a hundred years old. Um, wow. Sprague and Rhodes started out as a broker um, in the coffee uh, industry, and uh, then. Um, became a, a, a trading company, at least, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, trading at their... So they were down on downtown by all the other commodities? 99 uh, Wall Street. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and also the company was uh, also engaged in trading in cashew nuts and tea. Mm -hmm. But uh, coffee was by far the most important uh, product. Are they still around or do they get absorbed into some? No, no. Um, that's a whole other story. I mean, um, Sprague & Rose was uh, consisted of a partnership, uh, three partners who have been together for some 25 years, um, mm. always made money, uh, successful, medium-sized uh, company. Uh, but uh, interestingly, once uh, the first of the three retired, in actual fact, he retired Palm Beach, Florida, <laughs> um, everything kind of unraveled. And, uh, and, and for the first time, they, they um, kind of lost money and uh, lots of arguments and disagreements. And uh, at that point, the then uh, president and majority owner of Spragan Roads, his name was Don Sperling. He decided to get out of the coffee trade and um, and uh, just focus on uh, cashews and, and, and tea. Those departments were run by his son. So they moved from the fifth floor of, um, of 99 Wall Street to the sixth floor, took a small office, mm -hmm. and about one-third of the staff moved along with them. And uh, I was obviously a coffee trader so i i stayed with uh, the remaining partner who then founded a new company under a very similar name spragan roads coffee trading company hmm. um but everything kind of changed uh, the whole environment uh, and uh, the management style and um, i didn't see much of a future anymore and uh, one day I bumped into my former boss uh, on the elevator. And then during that very short ride, um, um, I asked, he asked me how I was doing. And I said, I'm 
not too happy anymore. I'm contemplating leaving. And I asked him how he was doing. And he told me that he's kind of bored. Uh, his son is essentially taking care of business and, uh, and he's, he's uh, reading the papers and, and looking after some of his investments, <laughs> but that's about it. And so I suggested to him that we should meet for dinner, uh, which we did a couple of weeks later. And during that dinner, I actually talked him, uh, 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 told him that, uh, or suggested that he would come out of retirement and or semi-retirement and uh, that he and I should start a new company. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. And that's how Paragon uh, started operating uh, May 1st, 1986. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing how, uh, you know, the, uh, the, we get lucky with the, you know, we have to do our own hard work and everything, but we get lucky with the mentors and the friends that we uh, make along the way in coffee, right? Um, our, Absolutely. Our... And, and I mean, you know, I've... I, I, my savings at that point were very limited. Uh, uh, so I relied uh, almost entirely on him in, in terms of uh, financing the new operation. Uh, as it turned out, I mean, he put up uh, about 95% of the, the money and I mm. did the 90 plus percent of the trading. So we needed each <laughs> other, you know, yeah. and then it worked. It worked from the get go. We had uh, a running start uh, we made money from the first quarter on so uh, it's been a success story ever since yeah and it's worked out quite well i know um i have many friends in the industry now and um you know i talk to people roasters and traders and paragon always uh, has a very good reputation um and um i wanted to ask you a little bit later about um you know, about some of the, you know, the, the entrepreneurship and the things that you put into that uh, company, because Paragon is not the biggest company in the world, right? You're not, uh, this, you're not Ecom or Neumann or, or Volcafe or one of these guys, but you've made a reputation. You made a name for yourself. You've carved out an important niche in the market, I think. Um, so how do you, I guess we can go into that now. I mean, how do you differentiate yourself? How do you, how do how do you think about? Look, we don't have to compete with with all of the big companies on that same level. We're going to do our own thing. So, how what's your philosophy there? Yeah, I mean, if you were to try competing with the big multinationals, uh, uh, going after the same kind of business, uh, pursuing the larger roasters, uh, I don't think we we would have succeeded. Mm. Uh, I brought. Um, uh, a bit of a specialty coffee background with me when I came back to the States in 1980. And I kind of started focusing on that uh, right, uh, right from the beginning. And this, this way I was there, uh, an active player from the get-go uh, as far as the specialty industry is concerned. And, uh, and that also meant that we focused more on smaller and medium-sized roasters. Um, I would say to this day, that's been our strength, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we have, uh, we talk to the big ones, but uh, doesn't result in a lot of business because mm -hmm. um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's very difficult to compete against uh, the, the big guys out there. And, and so we have our niches and uh, again, the specialty industry has helped us uh, a lot in the beginning. I, I got involved from the get-go in the Specialty Coffee Association of America. I was on the board of directors and 
early on and and uh, and uh, that allowed me to forge a lot of um, uh, to, to 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 generate a lot of relationships with uh, a lot of startups in the industry mm-hmm. you know you we kind of grew up together uh, so and i uh, was also uh, chairman of the international relations committee mm-hmm. and in that capacity i organized arts and trips um, I have, uh, at times I led a group groups of 40, 50, 60 uh, participants to uh, African countries, to South America, to Central America, mm-hmm. to Europe. Uh, so these kind of trips, which all took place in the 80s and, 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 and 90s, uh, mm-hmm. helped also, uh, you know, in terms of uh, forming relationships. Uh, a lot of... Uh, these uh, participants, they started small and they, they grew as time went on and we grew along with them. So, yeah, yeah. personal relationships, that's still key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that know, was, you know, what's important when it comes to entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, uh, that was one thing I was taught from the get-go, basically, is that as a trader, you, you need to be on the phone every day. Uh, you need to be maintaining those relationships. You need to be talking to people, not just sending emails, not just um, you know trying to do business, but just kind of keeping those relationships alive. In 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 fact, uh, so when I joined Sprague and Rhodes in 1980, a total rookie. I, I was a coffee buyer all this time, and, hmm. and so now I'm in this role. I'm I'm. Uh, I'm in the biggest market back then. New York was definitely the uh, coffee trading center of the world. And, and uh, you know, I was exposed to a whole new environment, uh, mm-hmm. trading. Now, suddenly, um, I wasn't the buyer anymore that everyone pursued, right? I had to go <laughs> after uh, clients. And I was given a whole bunch of accounts to pursue. All of them mm-hmm. non-existent accounts. They were either dormant or not brand new. Or, in other words, companies that the that that the company I worked for, Sprague and Rhodes, at that time had no relationship with. Right. So I said, okay. And I, they gave me about fifteen or so names, and they were spread mm-hmm. out: South, East Coast, um, Midwest, West Coast. So I said, okay, I want to visit every single client. And I planned three trips, one to the West Coast, one to the, the South, and one to the Midwest. And, uh, over the, and I did that uh, basically within the first four or five months after I joined the company. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very proud to say um, that within a few months, I ended up doing business with every single company that I visited that way. Wow. And uh, <laughs> there were about 15 15 or so companies. And over the course of the uh, few years, uh, uh, I became pretty much the, the key trader in, in the company. Um, and again, it all started by just going to visit, say hello, have dinner or lunch with them and mm-hmm. um, talk about coffee and God yeah. in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, that was when I was on the sell side, that was uh, a big part of what we were doing was traveling around and meeting everybody. And that really all pretty much came to a halt with COVID. 
you know, then it was like everything stopped all of a sudden. And then now it was now it's all these Zoom calls that were on but <laughs> nothing. Hopefully that's over now because uh, nothing really beats uh, getting out there and actually talking to people and being uh, present with them. Um, so I think that's a good segue um, into, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and I mentioned it in the, in the list, is traits of a coffee trader. You, you've you been a coffee trader. You've developed your skills over the years. Um, and you, as a, as a founder, as, a, as a, a business owner, you've also hired and trained a, a number of, of coffee traders over the years. Uh, I think you just got, you got another, uh, a new uh, key coffee trader friend of mine, Mauricio, right? Uh, he's, he's joined your team as well. Um, so what do you think about when you're hiring or cultivating a coffee trader personal relationships obviously you mentioned that's important um, but what do you what do you see as the traits that make people successful not necessarily just like specific skills but human traits human characteristics you got to be hungry you got to be hungry and you know tenacity you got to be a bulldog in a way uh never give up uh and if there's setback because, uh, you know, you're trying to reach someone and they try, they kind of keep ignoring you. I mean, it's tough to, to keep on trying and running up against the wall. But, but if you don't, then, you know, you have lost. So uh, yeah. never give up. Um, and uh, so, again, you have to, you have to be hungry. And, and uh and you have to love what you're doing. And, and I think that comes relatively easy when it comes to a product like coffee. It's such mm. a fascinating, exotic product. I have so many friends who are in totally different industry and, and mm. they keep envying me for, for being <laughs> in that, that, you know, I'm in steel or I'm in finance or I'm in this and that. Mm. And, uh, you know, you deal with one or two different um, qualities. So even when you are trading in other products, uh, sugar gold um i mean oil boring i mean it's boring <laughs> really yeah. coffee is endless you have 60 countries that produce it every country in the world that consumes it the international trade is is huge and mm. and uh, so many different qualities varieties differentials uh, it's a it's a challenging complex market but that's what makes it exciting you know if you want to want to keep it easy and simple than trading gold uh, it's boring as hell i think yeah. but uh no coffee is so fascinating and it's something that you can consume that you can enjoy mm. i enjoy making my own blends i've never given up on finding the perfect blend i'm still <laughs> looking for it and and um i have a little coffee roaster down here in, in florida i mean a little roasting machine uh, and uh you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm constantly trying to uh, create the ultimate uh, blend and uh, in the meantime uh, you know I'm known as the coffee guy here at the country club and mm -hmm. and every time someone complains about the coffee they, they urge me to do something about it and, uh, <laughs> so yeah. I'm talking to the food and beverage manager you know I, I mean I have always I've always said if I would have to start all over again it will be I would do exactly the same thing. I, I, I love coffee in many, many ways, you know, and it's been obviously good to me uh, um, economically, but uh, it, it, you have to love what you're doing. That, that, that helps a lot. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think you're right. It is easy to love coffee. I had a, a friend and mentor once who said coffee's a, a jealous mistress. Once you get into coffee, you never leave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, you know, for those who don't know, Roland and I used to go to the same church with Roland, and um the uh church had these uh um for every every week for coffee hour, uh we had these gold bags of uh, paragon coffee um from Roland, his personal blend that he would uh hey, he would I'm still doing it by the way. <laughs> I mean uh yeah, they, so the coffee, uh, if you're still, uh, well, you're down here too now, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'm still uh, providing uh, the church with, uh, with, with my coffee, yes. Yeah, so those are a high prize. So um, if you uh, ever uh, hang out with Roland, see if you can, can finagle a, uh, a bag of his famous coffee there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing I love about coffee too, Roland. There's so many layers to it, right? You got the financial aspect of it, which is exciting, the currencies, um, the futures and the, the structure of the market, which I want to get to in a second, because that's going bananas lately. But then all of the people, there's always fascinating people in coffee, the languages, um, and then, as you said, the physical side, you're you're not just selling mortgage backed securities or something. You're selling a useful product that people care about and they want. And uh, before I get into the futures and options side, because that's that's really kind of my my specialty these days and, 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 and what I'm focusing on. I thought it was really cool that you basically were in the specialty coffee business from the beginning, I'd say um, my understanding as it from a, as a kind of a amateur historian is that the u.s market at least was very focused on commercial cheap coffee you know with the percolator and low quality and all that until basically the 90s you know maybe a little bit before that the 80s yeah you founded 1986 yeah. i think you said paragon so you yeah, were really I, I, think that, uh, I think that i think that we lost an entire generation of potential coffee drinkers uh uh, in the 60s and 70s. I mean, they kind of came back eventually as they got older, but above all, as the quality of coffee improved. I mean, coffee in the 50s and 60s had, uh, sorry, uh, 60s and 70s had such a poor image, you know, it was mm. just particularly amongst the young. They just looked at it as a, a dark, warm beverage that, that tasted pretty crappy. And uh <laughs> And um, then that, that's what created some sort of a vacuum. And, and that's where um, Starbucks and Pete's and so on, you know, stepped into it and, and uh, really um, above all, I think the specialty market, especially coffee scene was driven by young, young people who flocked to, uh, to Starbucks and similar places, you know, to hang out, uh, to... So it wasn't just the coffee per se, but it was the the the, the, the space, the place to to mm. hang out with their friends, particularly uh, if you were uh, not uh, you know drinking age yet. I mean, uh, so the parents there would give you five or ten bucks to to buy a cappuccino at Starbucks because yeah. they considered that to be a safe place, right? No alcohol. Yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah, uh, and and yes, we we, we benefited uh, from from this development because we were there from 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 the beginning. How how has the the specialty coffee industry changed over the years? How have you seen it change, and 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 what do you see as the future? Yeah, that's gonna uh, in is a it gonna way, continue. I mean, 
I mean, there's too much coffee being labeled specialty these days, you know. And let's face it, almost everyone is in the so-called specialty industry these days. There's just <laughs> not enough specialty coffee to, you know, to take care of around. all those. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, flavor coffee is a specialty and this and that and the other thing. Um, so the, the, the term specialty in the coffee space has been butchered, you know, to an extent. I mean, yeah. there's still some true believers out there and, but again, there's just not enough out there, enough real top-notch coffee out there that uh, deserves the label specialty. But uh, uh, yeah, so really continue to grow. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, coffee that used to be a high-end commercial is now considered specialty, right? Strictly mm -hmm. high-grown, strictly hopping, probably end up in the in the specialty space, right? Yeah. Uh, so. But hey, at the same time, uh, you know, the coffee industry, especially coffee industry, has become very creative too. Uh, uh, the whole barista scene, uh, different coffee mm -hmm. beverages, you know, um, and so on. Um, uh, so, well, at least it's at least it's brought up the quality of the commercial coffee, right? I know for me, oh, yeah. um, since I don't have access to Roland Special Blend anymore, uh, I I buy uh, what I like is a commercial Colombian coffee. Um, you know, I just like a, a commercial 100% Colombian. It's uh, I like specialty coffee, but once in a while, it's like I drink so much coffee, I need something that's a little bit that's not too exciting for my daily <laughs> my daily okay. consumption, you know. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I totally agree with you. I have lots of people, once they know um, that you're in the coffee industry, they want you to recommend something, right? And I say always the same thing. If you don't want to spend a lot of money, but you uh, value for money, then uh, buy 100% Colombian. And you can find it in every supermarket. Uh, and that's really just good value for money. And it's a... Uh, a standalone coffee, as I described, mm. Colombian. You, you know, it's balanced. It has body. It has, it has flavor. It has uh, acidity. Uh, it's you, you know, most coffees. Otherwise, I prefer to blend most of the other coffees. But when it comes right. to Colombians, um, you don't have to do that. So if you buy 100% Colombian, you could uh, get good coffee at at, at, uh, at a good good very value. price. Maybe yeah. right now that's not so much the case because of the crazy differentials yeah that are still in in play when it comes to calming coffee but um, that's well, all i'll just go exactly and you know that that's been you know it's been a, a dynamic world um coffee's always dynamic but it seems like um the last couple of years have been particularly exciting um and uh so i wanted to talk to you about some of the current events of the day that you know it's it's coffee never stays still it was just just a few weeks ago we were at uh 10 cents over inversion and now we're we're back into contango in the front month it's uh minus 290 i think uh was the the last price today um and for me i i think this has really been all about the certified inventory it's been a certified inventory story at least for the 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 calendar spreads um obviously we had the the the, the brazil uh frost and we had a sort of global uh deficits and stuff but that's 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 a bit behind us now and 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 
I feel like it was the 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 low certified stocks in our you know below four hundred thousand bags moving towards zero. Oh my gosh, um, that now has of course completely changed, and now we've got all the pending stocks, and that's been been impacting it there. But I wanted to compare this, if you recall. Uh, to the 90s, when certified inventories went da- down to, I think it was below a thousand bags at one point, uh, something crazy. Do you remember when that was going on, and 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 how does this compare to that situation then? And what what was going on back then? Yeah, I I, I knew that you're going to ask me that, but uh, I have to say I do not really recall um, <laughs> what what happened. Um, and how we got out of it, uh, but uh, yeah, I, this this is really one aspect uh, where I'm uh, I'm at a loss of uh, <laughs> either remembering properly, but uh, somehow made it. But <laughs> I do not recall. So, <laughs> well, do you remember? Because one of the things I, I imagine, as a holder of coffee, the calendar spreads are important to you, right? In the trade, um, because sure. when when you're when the market's inverted, that stings, right? That's a that's a that's a it, you feel. That. It, you know, the, the coffee market for the trade has been, in many ways, a, a total nightmare uh, for the last couple of years, and. Uh, and I just hope that the roasting industry appreciates uh, all the trials <laughs> and tribulations the trade has gone through. I mean, uh, market inversion is, is very tough. That means that uh, every bag of coffee that you store, you know, is costing you money um, unless the, 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 the spot demand is so huge that they just rip it out of your hands, right? But that's really right. not the case. Look at the, the GCA stocks. I mean, this is something that's been confusing the heck out of me because uh, while the, 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 the surge have come down in leaps and bounds, right? Mm-hmm. At least until recently. Yeah. The, the, the other stocks, the GCA stocks have uh, barely moved. Yeah. So there's a lot of coffee still spot. And yet we had uh, at one point such a... Uh, such an extremely inverted market. I mean, go figure, you know, because so it's all about the search. So I agree with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's and- not just the market inversion. I mean, the, the, the trade really went through what I would call the perfect storm, uh, mm-hmm. a, a perfect storm scenario. I mean, between the freight rates, they went crazy, right? Mm-hmm. In the olden days, if uh, you entered into a contract over six months, 12 months, whatever, and the rates, uh, rate, freight rates would change, you would pass that on to your client, right? right? But somehow that got changed a few years ago and you can no longer do it. So uh, in many, many cases, the trade had to absorb such tremendous Freight rate increase is that a small profit, uh, at least in the initial uh, gross trading profit, turned into a considerable loss. Uh, yeah. Then uh, cost of financing at the same time started to go up. And again, mm-hmm. if you build a, a cost of financing at, uh, let's say, 2 3% into, into your pricing, but now it goes against you and it's now costing you five cents i mean uh, then the the differentials i mean that is probably where a lot of uh, sellers uh, trading companies got hit the hardest uh, yeah. if you went in 
if you sold short and the differential starts moving against you and you first are in denial and you hope and pray that it's going to come back and it doesn't, it gets worse and worse. And suddenly you have to cover your shorts at uh, five or 10 cent loss, just differentially alone. Uh, yeah. Then the logistical nightmare, I mean, the delays, the demerits, you name yeah. it. I mean, uh, inflationary pressures. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, it's just about everything went against you. And, and so um, I think, uh, it's actually amazing me of uh, how uh, everyone seems to be surviving somehow. I was going to say, I'm surprised uh, that no one went out of business. Um, you yeah. know, and um, yeah. and they, of course they all got crunched on uh, margin calls uh, too, right at the beginning of the year. Um, now that's obviously changed. Uh, and my understanding is that although freight rates have come down, uh, the logistics have not been solved. Right. Uh, there's still a lot of delays at ports, demurrage fees, uh, still a lot yeah, of expenses. But it's definitely improving considerably now. And mm. I personally also believe that uh, freight rates will, will be coming under a lot of pressure um, by early next year. Um, mm -hmm. So I would not lock in the current freight rates. Um, uh, when it comes to booking for so, uh, no, I, I'm generally bearish, uh, bearish almost everything. I, I'm yeah. bearish, uh, so above all, bearish differentials because yeah, I, that's the next to come. I mean, the I wanted to ask you about differentials. Um, so you're you're looking at all kinds of different markets here, right? You're buying from South America. You're buying from Central America. Um, are you buying Asian coffees as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we, cool. We are involved in many, many origins. Yes, and and, and, uh, and so how do you see how do you see differentials? Colombians obviously have been. They seem like they've been getting hit the worst. Honestly, um, they they're still high historically, but they've had a steady bull market. We've seen the Brazil diffs um, kind of rally into this sell off here. Um, but what's your what's your view on 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 diffs and and how do you think about them uh do you kind of do an s d calculation when you're trying to project them out like how do you think about the ways differentials move well i, I mean i think the 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 bearishness of the market uh, the c market as we have seen in, in recent months will mm -hmm. uh, and has already started to impact also differentials i mean mm. uh they're clinging on to you know the high differentials uh, as, as as best as they can but you see up until recently there was not much selling pressure because uh, yeah. the colombian main crop only just uh, started to flow in the last month or so uh, and uh, so the pressure has not, the pressure keeps, keeps mounting. And then uh, you have Central America that will eventually come in, mm -hmm. you know. So therefore, um, it's a timing issue. I believe that uh, by the beginning of next year, differentials will be quite a bit softer than they are today. Mm. Uh, and uh, I mean, the differentials we saw, I... Colombian coffees uh, have just been insane. On the other hand, uh, over the course of my 50 years in coffee, I have seen that happening several times. It's been a long, yeah. long time, but uh, uh, I don't know. Is it because uh, of uh, so many roasters' commitment to 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 market 100% Colombian coffee? And I don't know, but uh, yeah. it's obviously the 
far by far the biggest supplier of uh, washed arabica so that mm. gives them a very strong uh position in the market uh but uh, uh so i no, i i think the market uh, has of course uh, come, come down a lot in a short time maybe yeah. a correction is overdue i mean not just mm-hmm. maybe a correction is overdue but the overall trend i think will continue a little bit more but the next thing that's on the chopping block are differences, uh, in my opinion. But again, you have to give it another two or three months because the pressures of the new crop are not quite here yet. And I don't think uh, farmers or producers uh, can sell to the exporters before the coffee is actually you know, physically available. Um, I don't think uh, there are too many exporters who are willing to finance producers right. before Selling physical forward. delivery. And that's why uh, that pressure will come slowly but surely and will probably peak uh, early next year. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So I, I think the, the only group that's really, that has some strength is the Brazilian producer to some point because, because they sell natural coffee. Uh, this is my sort of general view anyway. Because they sell natural coffee, they can kind of afford to wait. They can kind of afford to sit on that and kind of not sell it until they're ready to sell it. But with the with all of the washed producers, I feel like they have to kind of sell that coffee as it comes in, right? Once, as soon as it's harvested, as soon as it's picked, uh, you can't just your 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 parchment coffee is going to lose value the older it gets. Um, so they and and if you're a farmer you know, picking ripe cherries, it's got to be picked right then when it's, when it's ripe. So I feel like we get that hedge flow from, um, as you're saying, the October crops from Colombia, from Central America. Um, maybe we get it from the Robustas as well in Asia. Um, and then um, that might bring Brazil to the table. Maybe they feel all that pressure from the competing, um, competing origins and they have to sell too, but I don't, I don't know. I I have less view there. Um, so do you feel like the Brazilian diffs are going to come down as well in conjunction yeah, with yeah. the others or? Uh, yes, always. Brazil is ultimately key to everything in the industry. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of shocking that uh, uh, I understand naturals, two, three, and so on. They're still like, what, about minus eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, very expensive. Yeah. Uh, and uh, from... I understand that the last crop, the crop that's just been harvested, uh, it's around 60 million, of which uh, 38, 39 uh, are Arabicas and the rest are So it's not a small crop. I mean, the 60 yeah. million crop, and, and I know people are very much differentiate between Robustas and, and Arabicas. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little old school. I say coffee's coffee, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, obviously, no, when it comes to the sea and desserts and so on. But uh, mm. I believe that, okay, you can now say we are in the middle of uh, November, the Brazilian crop is all harvested and processed. Uh, and now they are seeing the, watching the market slide. They are watching the differential slide, maybe even if it's not particularly for Brazilian coffee, but, uh, you know, uh, Arabicas and so on. And mm-hmm. So I think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if just going to start to panic. And then the currency is a factor. You know, the dollar is uh, obviously still very firm, particularly yep. against the uh, RAI. 
but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next few weeks uh, again that they'll come under more and more pressure to, to 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 sell more, and that that will bring Brazilian differentials down. And uh, eventually, I think the only solution to the tight certified situation uh, are Brazil's. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean. Right now, uh, I, I know we have uh, every, we have a lot of pending certs, mm-hmm. uh, and I, today uh, some what fourteen or seventeen thousand uh, uh, passed. Right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's crazy, and and the big question here is: uh, Is it old stuff that got recertified, or exactly. is it fresh Brazils? Yeah. And uh, why can't we get a clear answer on that? You know, I. I... It, it doesn't make sense that it's new, right? Or at least they're, they're, we're, we know we're not at tenderable parity, right? Um, that's That seems to be clear if we're talking about new crop coffee. So that's why I think everyone's looking like, okay, it's got to be some kind of, you know, old certs or research or something. And a couple other theories I've heard is that... Um, uh, that it could be people buying old coffees in destination markets, just selecting the best cupping stuff they can find and, and submitting that. That's one theory. Another theory is uh, that they're blending in more naturals in with the semi-wash right. stuff. Yeah, I, I, I hear that too. Uh, personally, I mean, if coffee is being recertified and uh, the mm. passing grade is or, or percentage is, you know, way above 50%, yeah. I, I have a bit of a problem with that. I, I mean, uh, I'm wondering, you know, how can a grader recertify coffee that's several years old? I mean, come on. I feel sorry for whoever ends up with this coffee in the long run, you know, paying yeah. uh, uh, current prices for a very old product. Uh, I mean, Maybe they, the, the graders are being told to be a little bit more lenient because of the tightness and all that, but I, 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 I have a problem with that. I don't understand it, Roland. Uh, that's a good, you know, that, that's something we, we have to maybe pursue for another podcast here is find someone uh, on the exchange to ask them for some answers on that because I've spoken to graders and I know that they, you know, some of them say, uh, you know, that they have tasted before coffee that tastes old, you know, um, it's not so old that it can't pass, but, um, that, but, you know, has a pass crop flavor. Um, so, but is, I would think that they're not supposed to pass coffee if it tastes old. So I'm not sure yeah, what the, 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 the criteria sure why isn't that is. just defects, you know, yeah. the criteria isn't just the defect count. It's also the taste. And yeah. the appearance, the color, right? And so no one must tell me that a four or five-year-old coffee uh, still uh, looks and tastes um, fresh enough to, to yeah. deserve uh, passing. So I, 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 and, yeah. Another issue I have when it comes to exchange is uh, why does all the coffee end up in Europe, particularly in Antwerp? Hmm. It would be such an easy fix. Obviously, the freight rates to the U.S., to New York... Uh, for example, uh, out of Brazil are way, way higher than they are to, to Europe. But mm. then I think the exchange has to make adjustments, just uh, mm-hmm. uh, provide an incentive in terms of adjusting the differential for mm. Brazilian, Brazilian coffee being tendered to, to the US versus to Europe. 
Mm. That way you uh, recreate a bit of a balance again, because also, you know, we all worried about the, the environment and all that. But if it forces you to, to buy coffee in Europe and then ship it to the US, right? Because mm. it's so much cheaper and, and it's available. There. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think that it's an easy fix. The, the committee, whatever committee it is that uh, decides on that, should uh, re, um, uh, readjust the, yeah. the, the, the differentials so that it, uh, it becomes um, almost equally attractive to tender to New York, say, um, as it is to Antwerp. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, well, I'm going to have to try to find a, 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 a greater or a, rather an exchange representative to, to chat with us sometimes so we can, we can ask those questions. So I think you've already given me your, your view here. Um, do you want to summarize with your coffee market crystal ball here? What do you, uh, before we, we let you go, what do you, what's your, what's your um, view on flat price over the next few months? Again, uh, I, I think the C market decline that you've seen over the last uh, few weeks uh, and, and months uh, may be too much too soon. Mm. Uh, the trend uh, in general will probably continue. It's going to probably flatten out a bit. And in between, yeah. you might see uh, a correction or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but above all, I am bearish differentially. Um, at least uh, uh, over the next three, four, five months, uh, I do see a, a downtrend uh, differentially. Mm. So, you know, I mean, the coffee market has always been marked uh, by boom-bust periods. We have had now a, a – and bust periods last longer than boom periods uh, <laughs> as a rule, right? Uh, yeah. Bear markets outlast bull markets. And we have had now a solid bull market for some time, Um I think Origin has done very well in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I think that uh, the bull market is is about to 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 die, and yeah. um, I'm I'm not saying they're going to head right into a bear market, but usually the markets always overdo. Uh, you know that uh, I mean the bull bull markets are overdone and the. The bear markets get overdone, right. but that's the cycle of coffee um, trading. Uh, that won't change anytime soon. But uh, mm. so we'll continue to see volatility, but probably to a lesser extent. But uh, again, I think differentials will be coming under pressure, and in the end, uh, Brazil will be uh, the answer and solution when it comes to certs. Uh, yeah, more Brazil coffee will end up uh, being certified. Uh, over the course of, if there's not enough coffee from the current crop, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the next crop uh, is pretty much in the bag. I mean, we have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's enough rain. Uh, yep. uh, we are talking about a, a crop of potentially 65 million, of which uh, mm-hmm. 45 or so Arabicas. I think they'll yeah. do their. They'll probably do everything they can to make as much uh, wash, uh, much uh, of their Arabica crop uh, um, semi-washed, suitable, suitable yeah. for 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 the exchange. Yeah. 
which uh, and it's it debatable what suitable means right these days yeah. but uh, yeah. <laughs> um well awesome roland thank you so much uh this was a, a pleasure to get to catch up with you and, and and pick your brain on the market here and hear about your uh your 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 rise uh, to success uh and 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 the founding of paragon so thank you so much for this I, I really appreciate it uh we will we'll get this loaded up and uh and and distributed to everybody soon okay well thank you ryan appreciate um, and yes, let's get together. Thank you for joining our Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Check out the website and subscribe to receive our free and premium coffee market reports. That's www.coffeetradingacademy.com. Again, coffeetradingacademy.com. Good luck with your trading, everyone. This is Ryan Delaney, your Coffee Price Dress Ninja here, signing off. <laughs>